Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey, the sky is falling, knock right <laughs> Sorry. As you can tell, my brain's not working quick enough to come up with the interesting middle. Yeah, name. a lot going on. On today's episode, we'll discuss why it feels like the sky is falling in terms of nation-state cyber warfare. Uh, but before that, we will jump into a overview of the most recent and possibly most recently killed hacking organization, Lapsus, dollar sign. With that, let's go ahead and cash on in. I guess I could have used Corey dollar sign lock right now. <laughs> there you go. So, last week, United Kingdom law enforcement arrested seven teenagers and young adults between the ages of 16 and 21 in connection with lapsus. Do you pronounce it lapsus or lapsus dollar sign? Actually, what do you what do you think they're going for here? I assume it's a double S in hacker speak. So I've been doing lapsus. I'm going to call them lapsus dollar sign just for the heck of it from now on. Anyway, lapsus money, money, money. There you go. Although right now they're they're going to be losing money for their lawsuit. They sure that, are. And uh, defense. So, anyways, happy, ha ha, is my response to them being arrested. Several young adults between the ages of sixteen and twenty-one in connection with the lapsus dollar sign hacking group that has been terrorizing major tech companies for at least a few months now, but more so in just the last month. So we actually, if you remember, listeners discussed this at the start of March, uh, after they had breached NVIDIA, where they stole a bunch of source code and trade secrets from the graphics card manufacturer. Uh, they're the ones that put out the the um, ultimatum of they would leak sensitive information if NVIDIA didn't remove crypto mining limiters off of their graphics cards as well. Um, I think it was right as we were recording that episode too, news came out that they had hit Samsung as well, and Corey mentioned that, and the potential trade secrets or information they could get out of Samsung. But since that episode, they've now hit Samsung, uh, the video game developer, or I guess publisher Ubisoft, Vodafone, and then most recently, uh, authentication provider Okta and Microsoft themselves as well. And in just the last few weeks, we've actually learned a lot about Lapsus dollar sign. Uh, and I guess we should probably start by backing up a bit and just kind of going over what we know about these uh, now, I guess, arrested uh, hacking, hacking organization people. So first off, unlike other hacking organizations out there that sell or leak data on the dark web, uh, Lapsus seems to operate entirely out of a Telegram channel that they maintain. Uh, the channel is actually up to 45,000 subscribers now. It seems to have really picked off after raid forums got shut down by the FBI. Uh, just a few weeks, I guess, man, it's been a few months now, actually. Um, they regularly recruit out of their Telegram channel, um, but they've also posted some job requests, I guess you would call them, on subreddits on Reddit, too. Um, they primarily operate through a form of social engineering, which technically through bribing or tricking employees into giving up credentials willingly, uh, in some cases, even accepting multi-factor authentication authorization requests. Uh, they've also been found to sometimes purchase credentials off of dark web marketplaces and then basically use this access to then smash and grab against an organization. Uh, there was a recruitment thread 
uh, that was offering recently $20,000 a week for anyone working at AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile to assist them with SIM swapping as part of their attacks. Um, they've also appeared to target the personal email accounts of employees for companies they're going after, recognizing that a lot of us log into our Gmail account on our work computer potentially, and that could be an avenue to get on, onto a host and then compromise that access or issue a, a password reset or accept an MFA token through an email to then VPN into an organization. Uh, they posted on Telegram recruiting anyone uh, with company accounts at several large organizations to give them VPN or Citrix access to the network. Um, and they've even gone so far as to call up help desk organizations or like help desk teams for some of these companies, successfully answer password reset prompts and reset the credentials of employee accounts. Uh, this is really preying on outsourced help desk where like I feel like at WatchGuard, if I called up help desk, they'd be like, oh yeah, that's Mark. Uh, but if you know, we had outsourced that to some other firm. They wouldn't have that personal relationship to add an additional layer of vetting to that. So they do have to rely on some of these reset stuff. So anyways, it's been really interesting. Uh, their, their methods for getting into a company. It's very different from like, you know, the state sponsored hacker or like even the ransomware as a service provider where they might exploit a flaw or something and then lie in wait for a few weeks and scope out the network and then, you know, use tools to move yeah, this, this isn't smart technical hacks or this is basically bribing insiders. And to be honest, I would say this lapsus isn't the first. Didn't we have there's a rat, ransomware group that had talked about how one of the ways they started planting ransomware, you know, in that case, they were bribing insiders to bring in a bring in the executable and have it run. So, it, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's very interesting. Not the first time it's happened. And to me, it's uh, almost a human problem, right? I mean, I, I guess their, their bet is that some employees don't feel paid enough or just don't like their company enough that they would take a bribe. By the way, in the end, every time Lapsus does something, the employee gets burned. I think they're the login being used is going to be recognized by the company 100%. and that that employee is going to probably lose a lot more than their job. So, uh, but it does bring up the interesting question because this is, can your insiders be bribed to do something bad? And $20,000 is not a small sum of money, especially if you're like a rank and file, like help desk person at AT&T. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. And if in, and sometimes I, you know, they're, they're willing to continue to pay as you do more stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think that's why for the ransomware version of this, again, not Lapsus, but the other one I talked about, I think some of those people could get up to a million dollars, which didn't was definitely a lot for an average employee. May not have been much for the people that were bribing because they're probably getting tens of millions in ransom. But anyways, definitely interesting thing. I will say I have some opinions too because it did, I feel like it out, out, outlines some non-transparent disclosure too, but maybe we'll get into that as you continue the story. Oh, we absolutely will. So when it comes to like after they gain the access, they typically try and steal, like they've been going after source code repositories. They go after trade secrets from NVIDIA. They managed to dump the entire NVIDIA employee user database, including hashed passwords. And then they turn around and try and extort the organization for money uh, in return for not leaking all that data. Uh, they also go to other extremes too, like I mentioned NVIDIA, demanding they remove crypto mining limiters. Um, with like Okta and the rest, it was similar, you know, demanding money uh, in order to not release it. 
But in some of these cases, like, man, with Okta, they even reported uh, that the compromise came from a third party customer support engineer. Basically, they'd outsourced support to a contractor. Um, that support engineer's account had effectively super admin access to various systems, including resetting passwords for customer accounts. As Corey hinted at, Okta was pretty click quick to lean on a technicality uh, with their original statement being Okta services have not been breached and remain fully operational. Uh, but they've since admitted that that compromised support engineer laptop gave the attackers access to things like Jira ticketing and the ability to reset passwords and MFA tokens for 2.5% of customers' impact. And, and you leave out the fact that Lapsus outed Okta. After Okta's original blog post, Lapsus came out with a 10-point rebuttal basically saying, oh, you say a laptop was compromised? No, it was a thin client, not a laptop, Okta. You're, you're lying. Oh, and, and you detected something? Uh, you know, you, <laughs> you didn't detect it. Uh, oh, you say you support zero trust? Then why did we were we able to why why could we find keys in the Slack channel? Uh, so pretty much, Lapsus was almost bragging and calling Okta out for basically, at worst, not being fully transparent in their response, but uh, actually probably more likely lying. Uh, so not a great. You know, even though the threat actor is the one at wrong here, and I'm very happy if these really are, if these suspects really are the ones that carry it out, I hope they get, you know, the penalties at the maximum for the for the law. But uh, it, it is kind of interesting seeing the threat actors basically call out companies' response to their attack and pointing out how it's, <laughs> we we know how we attacked you, and here are some details. And like the whole <laughs> leaning on the, yeah, Okta itself, Okta proper, no Okta employee was technically hacked in this case. But like, I mean, crap, look at Target. No Target employee was technically hacked. It was an HVAC firm, and they still suffered a massive breach because of it. So yeah, okay, technically your employee wasn't involved and your system wasn't involved, but it still gave them pretty elevated access across the organization. And they were able to use that to reset passwords and MFA tokens for accounts. Like you can see why Lapsus was probably targeting a company like Okta and that this could be another avenue to get into other systems too. Like I think Cloudflare got rolled up in this as well because some of the accounts they went after uh, were for uh, accounts participating in Cloudflare services. Basically, if you can reset that account, set a new MFA token, then you can log in with that account to anything it potentially had access to as well. It makes sense that that's a target they would go after. Um, when it came to the Microsoft one, it was kind of a similar deal where it was a compromised uh, employee account that gave them that initial access to source code repositories. Interestingly, so Microsoft came back saying that they'd already flagged that account and they were actively monitoring it. And they were also actively monitoring Lapsus's, um their Telegram channel because they were actually in the process of writing a whole blog post about Lapsus in this regard. And as soon as Lapsus posted a screenshot of them inside Microsoft's source code repository, like inside their their Azure like DevOps um, server, uh, Microsoft elevated and shut down that account. Basically, uh, Lapsus even they posted a message later saying, "quote Access denied while I was sleeping would have had a complete dump, but we were all tired." Basically, they posted the information of the breach before actually finishing exfiltration of data, so they didn't even get the entirety of the source code. I'd say that was actually like a win for Microsoft. Like this type of attack is really difficult to detect because you have to differentiate 
a legitimate account with illegitimate or suspicious behavior deviating from whatever they typically do. That's really your only shot of catching a lot of this style of activity. Like suddenly, yes, they do have access to that source code, but are they coming in at an hour or a time where they don't normally? That's why insider attacks are definitely harder to detect. It's it's all about the anomalies. And, and the other thing is how much data, right? If you have an engineering or someone that ha does have access to all the keys to the kingdom, it's not abnormal that he does that access. But if typically they only transfer, you know, 50 megabytes of files a day or 50 megabytes of data from some database, if suddenly there's terabytes going out to a new place, you, you definitely have to start looking at anomaly detection to start catching insiders. Especially it can be very difficult. Sometimes like these attacks don't even trigger like authentication logs. In one of their attacks they did, they actually stole the session cookie from an employee and used that to hop in. So it's not like they took the credentials and had him accept an MFA token. They already had a valid session that was logged in from the employee's normal looks, location. Yeah. And suddenly it was that. In other words, doing that, that there's no log to the authentication because it was logged when the user did the first authentication. But to to the systems, the session token just looks like a continuation, a continuation of the same log. Yeah. That one so is there's no additional log. Very frightening. Yeah, yeah. Like that one on a technical level, like you'll have to look at things a lot more than just the session token. Like there are a lot of systems where it'll kill a session if suddenly the token's used with a different IP address, force you to potentially re-log in. You've probably seen that on some systems you've logged into where like if you hop on a VPN, suddenly you have to re-authenticate like your bank account or or uh, Atlassian account or something like that. Um, because really that's when you steal a session token like that, it is insanely yeah. difficult to detect. And I think it's our, our regular listeners know this is an aside. It has nothing to do with an insider, but people already know that this is one avenue that goes against certain implementations of MFA too. That the whole point of a session cookie is it's not the authentication itself. It's just proof of an existing authentication. So if someone can replicate that, you know, as you say, it's totally scary. They don't have to, uh, they're not technically authenticating. They don't have to do MFA. There's no logs of the continued use of the same session cookie unless something weird goes on, like it expires. Uh, so yeah. And there's even like Tough stuff, but so, so many systems use that. Yeah. I mean, how else will any sort of web application not ask you to log in every five seconds, unless there's that session cookie that keeps the session going. <laughs> yep. So exactly. it really is uh, other than normal web security. Uh, it's a tough issue. And there's even like full on underground marketplaces devoted to that style of attack too. I think was it like Dream Market or something like that where they even have like a browser plugin that not only takes the session cookie but mirrors the entire victim's like identity in that like it makes it look like the user agents coming from their normal browser uh, makes it look like the plugins they have installed are the normal ones for that to try and fool some of these systems that might look at more than just the session cookie too. You can see how these adversaries are evolving where Yes, now a lot of people are deploying multi-factor authentication to all of their accounts as they should. But even that is slowly starting to not be enough if you're not paying attention elsewhere too. 
Yep. Pretty crazy stuff. I, that, 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 you know, unfortunately, the truth will be security is always a cat and mouse game. As us defenders find better ways to th do things, attackers will always find new holes. So I agree with you, but I, I guess it's what gives us job security because we're <laughs> something new will be out tomorrow and we'll have to figure out a good and easy way to help protect folks against it. 100%. Um, so at one point, the alleged leader of Lapsus, uh, who goes by the name of White or White Docspin or a few others online, I think like Breach Hub was another one, uh, bought this website called Docspin, which is a really popular doxing website with data on hundreds of thousands of individuals. Uh, for the non-hacker technical people, doxing is basically just unmasking an online persona and tying it to PII, like someone's name or their address or phone number, uh, generally proof that you know who any given alias is and there's this website docspin that's basically devoted to that service kind of thing by by the way it's essentially a copy of pastebin pastebin as you know even if you're not in security is just a place where you can put short text files soften code or other people share stuff there but one of the things that pastebin became very common for is doxers and other let's call them uh, attackers and security folks would share stuff there because it's an anonymous and easy way to share data. But I think Pastebin started doing a lot more enforcing and whenever they notice things like exploit code or doxing or any bad malicious piracy links, whatever it was people were putting on Pastebin, they started locking down on it, yep. which I believe is why Docspin became such a big thing after. So, but you can see how like, that kind of information could also potentially be useful for a social engineer, too, of knowing behind an account who an actual human is. And so that's my assumption for why they went and bought this site originally from the owner. Turns out that this white or white docspin or whatever you want to call him, the ringleader of Lapsus, uh, Lapsus dollar sign. Turns out they weren't doing such a good job of keeping the site running smoothly. All the users of the site were complaining. And so they actually resold control back to the original owners for a loss. But before doing that, they leaked the entirety of the database for Docspin online, including a bunch of like hidden draft uh, data sets on Telegram. And the community then of Docspin turned around and doxed this guy himself. Like this is how... <laughs> Oops. Yeah, you, you typically <laughs> Bad don't want to tick <laughs> off those kinds of folks that this is their day-to-day -day job. And I mean, I'm willing to bet this is a pretty big factor in like law enforcement narrowing down who the potential individual was too. like one of the things. So it was information on them, including even a video allegedly shot at night outside the person's home just as an extra creepy. Layer. Yeah, I, it's it all comes down to the same with uh, uh, Dread Roberts, Pirate or, Dread Pirate or Silicon Bay guy. Roberts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it all comes down to OPSEC. If you're going to be a criminal, you better be really darn good at OPSEC because little silly mistakes well and continued we'll, we'll connect you second panicking fails uh white docsman the leader of lapsus tried to pay the owner of docsman twenty five thousand dollars to remove the information on him the owner took the money and then posted a statement calling him out on trying to pay to remove the data and that he was trying to get him to spread false information about his participation in lapsus so definitely floundering floundering around at that point in time and failed it yet another one there so again, all of this culminated in last week, the arrests of seven folks in the UK, where due to their ages, their names are not being released. Um, but it is believed that this guy is at least among them, the leader of Lapsus and the rest of his crew, basically. So really, really eventful month for the month of March, where these guys have been 
terrorizing organizations. Like, it honestly, I was surprised that they managed to, I, I don't know, maybe I'll back that up. Maybe I'm not surprised they managed to get into Microsoft. You think of organizations like Microsoft, like they probably have pretty good security controls, but oh, yeah. how do you, like, it's still incredibly difficult to detect and respond to a malicious insider effectively, someone that has given up their credentials or account. People will always be the weakest link. And by the way, it's not because you suck. It's not because you can't be trained. It's not because it's people make mistakes. It's going to happen. There's, there's, you know, nothing you can do to make the problem go away 100%. I do still think good security training, good awareness, good people talking about these issues will lower the mistakes quite a bit. But in the end of the day, social engineering is still effective. I mean... If you listen to Kevin Mitnick or some of the phone call social engineers, I remember at DEF CON where they had a live social engineering contest where there's this one female hacker. They'd go into a phone booth. You could see them and hear them, but they were in this booth so that the odd, so that the victim wouldn't hear the audience. And the level of the social engineering where she had a story she had audio going in the background of a baby crying. So she got the support rep to think, oh, this person's really anxious. She has to go. The baby's quiet crying. I shouldn't try to validate her that much. She's really, it, it was just very convincing, you know? So it's, and, and while this isn't exactly that, this is more bribery. The, the point is, as good as we get with the technical aspects of security, it's always going to be a human element, so make sure that's not a gap in your policy. At the very least, train. No mistakes will happen. Don't necessarily overly judge folks for them, but you definitely have tools in your disposal that can actually lower mistakes over time. And as we talked about there, you should monitor for user anomaly detection because there are there are some ways to catch insiders, but granted, it's much harder yeah, because I, I don't remember who this quote was attributed to. I saw it pop up on Twitter over the last weekend. But basically, it came down to we've designed, like we collectively being the industry, have designed our defenses around, you know, the modern cyber threat landscape of keeping out you know, nation states and uh, modern ransomware where they do go low and slow. They try and move laterally. They try and elevate privileges, figure out your host like you've got time to catch them. Um, how do you actually defend against someone whose entire job is a five hour smashing grab of get an account, get in, get whatever they can and leave? Like it yeah. becomes very difficult. They almost don't care about the alarms. It's all about just the smashing grab, right? <laughs> like you say, it's like the department store that has lots of fancy alarms. And if some criminal is trying to break in and get to the safe in the back, that will take time to crack to steal the big money. All the other security controls will help. But that dude that just wants to smash the front grass ignores the camera because they're wearing a mask and just grabs the display, that smash and grab will probably work fine. Yeah. So in those cases, like that's where setting up your network from the get go to try and prevent that access is so critical. Like this is why zero trust is becoming such a big topic, because you need to make sure that you can prevent that whatever like compromised account from accessing things that it shouldn't necessarily yeah, and that's the key point. Like here, we we've proved we've mentioned that you're not going to perfectly solve humans, and if they compromise one human, it may be true the attacker will get access to whatever that single human has access to. But the beauty of zero trust is, why are you letting your employees access everything on your network? Uh, you know, if you do zero trust, you're at least controlling 
the uh, collateral damage. You're you're limiting what the attacker can do by compromising one of your users. So I, I totally agree with you, Mark. Zero trust. That's the whole point. It 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 works. It will actually you know make it when people do make mistakes, there might be less of an impact to you. That said, of course, people that do have access probably should have higher training and higher monitoring because they might have. Uh, more things that they could, the attacker could get through. And them. that is an important part of zero trust too, is the monitoring of the access you do allow so that you can catch like using user behavior analytics, catch things that deviate from a user or assets, typical activity, because yes, limiting what anyone can hit is great. But for those that still have privileged accounts, you need to make sure that you're able to catch deviations of that behavior. And really, I feel like that's where the future of security is going is piecing together and correlating all the information you have in order to say, is this really Mark logging in with his work laptop or is it someone with a malicious extension on his browser that's taking it over or something? So anyways, it sounds like Lapsus may have at least been killed off here, uh, but this is really- I guess we'll see. I do, do, we may not know if that's the whole group. Mm -hmm. If they have white, that's probably the head. But like at a by minimum, the way, if they really are 16 to 24 year olds, if there's others involved, there's a good chance they may be outed just for some of these arrested folks to get deals. 100%. So, but yeah, it's, it's a fantastic thing. I'm glad it happened. Hopefully Lapsus is really gone for good. But like on the flip side, it has shown how successful this style of attack can be where even the, a couple tens of thousands of dollars to get your foot in the door in some of these places can potentially pay dividends if you succeed in one of your extortions. I'm not saying that to say everyone should go out and do this, but just to highlight the severity. It's more to say people should should pay attention to this style of attack so you can protect against it. 100%. Uh, so moving on, also last week, President Biden issued a warning uh, that they had, quote, evolving intelligence that the Russian government is exploring operations for potential cyber attacks against critical infrastructure, basically in retaliation for U.S. economic sanctions. So they said that the threat is so significant that hundreds of U.S. organizations in the critical infrastructure sector have been given classified briefings on the matter. And he's urging all private organizations to harden their cyber defenses immediately by implementing the best practices that the government developed in partnership with these organizations last year as basically part of their, oh, look, Colonial Pipeline got hacked. Maybe we need to respond to something. Uh, I mean, pausing for a second. Fresh off of, was it last week, we chatted about the TSA's current attempts at some of these best practices not really going over so well. So I can see why there might be some hesitation in adopting them. But this does seem like a pretty clear threat. Like even the Deputy National Security Advisor, Ann Neuberger, doubled down saying that, quote, at a point, uh, we're at a point where we are concerned about potential disruption to critical services and re reiterating that shared classified information with hundreds of organizations. May yeah, very much declared. I, I would say it's no surprise to you and me, Mark. It's just the proof happening in real life. Uh, I've been worried about the cyber cold war for a long time. Uh, one thing I'm very disappointed in, in in nation states, that means governments like Russia, is the fact that when they do cyber war, they're not going after government targets. They they actually seem fine with attacking any citizens, any private business that they think could have an effect. Uh, personally, I think that's disgusting. Uh, the reason we made a prediction a long time ago that NATO or the UN needs to create a 
some sort of rules of engagement for cyber war is just this exact reason. You know, we have laws, global laws against chemical weapons, against killing and torturing prisoners of war, against going after hospitals as targets, all kinds of rules about, yes, it's war, but there's just inhumane things that you shouldn't do. And cyber war is the next level of war. This is a foregone conclusion. It will happen. And it's not just going to happen in cyber with ones and zeros. Drones, satellites, things that can fall out of the air and crash and blow things up can happen too. And until the, you know, I, I feel like any government that does something that, uh, I mean, critical infrastructure, you might say, is a, a viable target versus just some random business. But either way, there needs to be rules of engagement. And I would love to see the world come together strongly against threat actors that don't follow those rules. So I actually, it's, I, it, we've all seen this happen. To be fair, by the way, Another thing I don't know if we'll talk about is anonymous. And by that, I don't just mean the group. A lot of random people in the world have taken up cyber actions against Russia because of Ukraine, which, you know, depending on your views, I'm not going <laughs> to force aside. I know people in Russia may feel different. Uh, I'll but take I, certainly support... I think it's, it makes sense on the <laughs> face of it. Like, yeah, hell, go after them. Yeah. Now, that's what I was essentially saying. I support Ukraine. I don't like Russia in this physical war. But I think the mob mentality of just the general public deciding to attack another country, one, remember that a country, a country's citizens are not the government. <laughs> you shouldn't be attacking people <laughs> who may not even agree with their own government. So you have to be very careful in the targets. That's why we tend to let governments make decisions on that. And two, mentality's gone wrong so many times. Maybe if they had, maybe they have a really nice intention, but they go after some business that really has nothing to do with the Russian government, but really hurts normal people. So, uh, to be fair, what I'm saying is, I don't think these anon. I, I do think you can have sanctioned cyber attacks that are done from governments in retaliation to cyber war, but I think the general public or just random vigilantes doing it. I get the intention. I totally understand the intention. I understand the side some of them are trying to support personally. I just think it's a slippery slope. There's also because mob mentality tends to hurt innocent targets. And there's a third point that I think you even missed in there that I think we discussed a while ago with that one security researcher ticked off at North Korea. And that like the US government and other international governments may be planning and currently enacting cyber operations against certain targets. And if you as a random kid in your mom's basement go in and do something and disrupt that, you could actually harm a greater operation uh, that's going on. Yeah. The greater being the important thing. Maybe what they were doing would have had a much better effect, but you messed it up. So you're totally right, Mark. That is a good point from... So yeah, I, I. but anyways, either way, the warning of President Biden that we should protect ourselves from this, totally believe it. I just think it's a sad state of affairs. The fact that there is a nation, by the way, we're not even technically, other than sanctions, which are non-physical, non-cyber attacks, it's a sanction is a legal and normal thing to do. It's basically saying, hey, we're not gonna be your friend and, and cooperate with you because we think you're a bad actor. For them to retaliate with direct cyber attacks that may affect private business, it, it's just, it's wrong. It really is. And like, there's been a lot 
bubbling up around this too. Like, uh, I guess two weeks ago, the FBI put out a memo to certain organizations warning of 140 different Russian-based IP addresses that were doing network scans against critical infrastructure, telling them to watch out for it and investigate for any additional activity. Just last week, or a few days ago, actually, the U.S. Justice Department unsealed another pair of indictments against FSB officers responsible for attacks against the energy sector in 2012 through 2018, specifically the ones responsible for the Dragonfly malware and the Triton malware that I believe we talked about at least at some point for the latter one um, back of quite a few years ago now. But like, there's been clearly a lot of focus on this nation state backed cyber war recently like it really feels like like you said the cold war that we predicted is now bubbling over into a really a not so cold war anymore yeah and i guess the one thing i didn't even that that i'm not sure anyone predicted is even when we were thinking cold war at least when i was thinking cold war i was thinking nation state versus nation state this whole idea of guess what? There's computer and security savvy folks, probably in some sense more in the private industry than in in government. I, government has great ones, by the way. I'm not downplaying them just by the numbers, though. There's more citizens that just understand tech and security. So the fact that any actor in the world, anyone with a computer and knowledge can have asymmetric power to go against that if you just have a political belief and nation state cyber war starts any in the world anyone in the world if they are willing to take the risk can pick up the fight and while that might seem noble and nice i feel like the chaos that you know at least in the nuclear cyber war it was two governments with thoughtful consideration not wanting to blow each other out of insistence when you start to add every citizen in the world starting to throw like sudden, imagine if a citizen was able to launch a little nuclear weapon, countries would have blown each other up long ago. <laughs> Man, that's so a the fact prospect. that citizens can now do crazy things too, along with the nation states, uh, I, I, like you say, it may not be a cold war, and it actually makes it different than the the nuclear cold war that we used to compare it to. Yeah. So, I mean, if you take nothing else from this, if you are capable yourself of launching cyber attacks, maybe hold off. Uh, yeah. And if you're an organization, I would say we, we you'd lo I love the intention, and if you want to work for the government, I, but I would I would be very careful in doing that. You. You know, it, it's very easy to to pick a wrong target and do have unintended consequences. Yeah. And if you aren't a hacker yourself and you simply work for an organization that maintains some form of critical infrastructure or, you know, any IT systems at all, now is the time to definitely batten down the hatches and take some of these warnings on face value because it does feel like they're going to punch back at some point. And it's probably going to be a cyber punch back because that seems to be all they're capable of doing right now. I, I totally agree. And the, the big change here, I think we've said it before, uh, four years ago, whenever we started talking about APT or state-sponsored actors, I would always throw in a caveat, oh, I get, unless you're a certain type of business, these probably don't affect you. You should just worry about them because the techniques will trickle down to, to criminals. That's not the case. State-sponsored attackers are attacking private businesses. They are evidence all over the world for this. So I again, again, I think it's wrong. I think it's horrible of certain states to do this, but 
even the most sophisticated attacks can now affect you and are affecting normal businesses. So take the advice to harden your defenses that I think is really what the White House is trying to warn. Uh, take it to heart. Yeah, 100%. And in the meantime, I'm going to go manage IT systems from like a fallout shelter, I think, just to be safe. I, we need to bury our, our security operations center under Cheney Mountain like NORAD and have a 25-ton door protecting it at this point. <laughs> this is the future we're moving towards. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we, did, we did our normal. Oh, great. On that note, let's end with some happiness. No, I'm, I'm sorry. It's not the end of the world, by the way. We, uh, we're venting about like this. It. <laughs> yeah, there there are bad actors out there. But the good news, the intention we see globally, whether or not anonymous people picking up the attack is good or not, the intention of the world, the majority seem to be good. So there's hope. Good guys, I think, will win this battle in the long run. It's very, but yeah, it can be scary. So make sure to protect yourself. Very optimistic, Corey. I'll go ahead and try and jump on that bandwagon for the rest of the day. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week. Bye. Ciao.